Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Just got a series of Texas suggestions from the corner office. Oh, really? Yeah, so I replied. Uh, I said to quote the great Fran Fisher, go sell something. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't text me. I'm just joking. All right. Great to have you with us on the show today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Fourth Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Great new inventory with great deals. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. The best. Great pre-owned inventory with a wide variety. Great selection. All with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. A sales staff that works with you and your budget. And a fabulous service department all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. When he was at Wichita State, I thought he was one of the top point guards in the country that nobody really knew about, and that's Fred Van Fleet. Well, last night he had 54 points for the Raptors, a team record, knocking down 11 threes in our play-by-play call of the day. Fred in the paint, catches the pass, scoops it up and in on a reverse, and Fred Van Vliet with a new franchise record, 54 points in the game. Remarkable performance. He's a terrific player. Terrific player. And when you look at somebody like that, you say, okay, you know, you know, based on size, so forth, can he make it in the NBA? And it turned out he has been a tremendous pickup for the Toronto Raptors. Big reason why they won the championship a couple of years ago. It may not have been the star. Kawhi Leonard was the star. But stars take you to a point. Everybody else has to pitch in. Remember when the Heat won, when they had Bosch and they had Wade and they had LeBron James, Mario Chalmers stepped up and made big shots. Ray Allen stepped up, made a huge shot against San Antonio. So, you know, Robert Ory was the master at Houston and with the Lakers of not being the star, but hitting big shots and big moments. All right. Yesterday, we had the opportunity to talk to Mount Carmel's Brett Veach, the general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs. How you guys doing? I I hope the snow is letting up there. I've been following the, the you know, the weather, weather.com. I've been on it every day checking out uh, Tampa's weather and seeing if we're going to get rain. And it couldn't, you know, couldn't help to notice all the snow you guys are getting there, back there on the east coast. Yeah. So hopefully you guys are all yeah. safe. Yeah, a lot, about 18 inches in the uh, valley, and then here in State College about uh, 12. So <laughs> <laughs> You guys are lucky then, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, it, you know, here at Penn State, we get away scot-free every time. Uh, exactly. Brett, uh, one of the keys to your job, obviously, is roster construction. You've been able to keep your core group together because getting there once is hard. Getting there twice is an incredible accomplishment. How important was the construction of the Mahomes contract to then allow you to keep your core group together with other key players? 
Well, yeah, I mean, it was a big part of it. <clears throat> and, um, you know, certainly um, when you're paying someone like Pat Mahomes, you know, the biggest contract in, in U.S. history, I mean, there's going to be challenges in regards to how you fill out the rest of your roster. But um, the cool thing was that, you know, we had worked on this for, for years, and, and um, you know, I joke with people all the time that, you know, we believed in Pat from the moment we drafted him, and, and really by his second year we were already throwing ideas and concepts. And, you know, the only thing that changed, uh, I think, from the time that Pat got here to the offseason was, um, you know, the total dollar amount. So I think we had always, from the time we drafted him, prepared for a franchise-type quarterback. But, you know, after that first season as a starter, when he did things that, you know, we knew were possible, but when he did them so quickly, we quickly thought, well, listen, this guy may set the market uh, in a couple of years. And, and, you know, we started early on the process, and, you know, I give my cap guys a lot of credit um, a couple of years ago when, you know, he was still a few years away from, from being a, um, uh, in this position to sign. I mean, we were like, why are we thinking about, you know, comparing markets? And why are we thinking about this quarterback or that quarterback? I mean, why don't we just talk about a baseball contract? And, and you know, we threw out Mike Trout's contract, and I think that was one of the first deals that we looked at. So, you know, early on, you know, just like Pat is kind of an outside-the-box player, we – we kind of approached um, his contract extension and negotiation with that mindset. Like, let's not look at what past markets have done. Let's, you know, recreate what this looks like. And that's why, you know, a 10-year deal is kind of unprecedented. Um, but that's the faith we had in him. And, and it always takes two to, to make things work. So you have to have a player and an agent that is willing to, um, you know, to buy into that. So Pat in regards to, you know, on one end, he's the highest paid player in the league, but on the other end, when you do a long contract like that, there's a lot of flexibility and maneuverability within those within those years and how it's structured. So that will allow for us to potentially move money around and, and to get talent. And, you know, I think Pat understood that he'll be taken care of. And, and but at the same time, like, he also knows there's a lot of talent in this building and wants to see those players stay here. So by doing a long contract, it will allow us to, to have some maneuverability. So a huge tribute to Pat and his his representation for allowing us to get creative. To me, Brett, it's always been invaluable to actually physically be at a practice. It's invaluable to see things for yourself. Tape is invaluable. There's no getting around. Video is invaluable. You went down to Texas Tech yourself, and I think you were looking at somebody else. What was it when you actually saw him in person that made you go back to Andy Reid and say, you know what, uh, we got to talk about something? Well, yeah, I mean, there was a couple. Now, uh, fortunately, um, we were here in Kansas City, and, and you know, being located um, very close to, to Lawrence, Kansas, and, and Manhattan, you, you know, we had a chance to see him, right? So, um, you know, there were quick drives to see him play at K-State and, and quick drives to see him play at Kansas. Um, but also, Steve, you know, the moment that really sticks out was I drove to Ames, Iowa, to see him play at Iowa State, and that game, you know, they got completely annihilated. And um, I remember it was – I don't remember exactly, but it felt like um, even in the press box, but just walking to the, to, the, to the press box, it felt like it was in the single digits that day. And the wind was swirling, maybe 15, 20, 25-mile-an-hour winds. <laughs> and, you know, you saw him cut the ball um, early on in pregame. Um, but also you saw him face a bunch of adversity. Um, you know, early in the game, he went down with a shoulder injury – um, went back in the game, um, made some pretty unbelievable throws under duress. Um, the game was 
they were getting completely blown out at halftime. I believe it was 35-7 or something like that at halftime. He left again in the second quarter. Um, the kid kind of made it known that he was going to come out. So in your mind, you're thinking, okay, they're not ball eligible. It's 35-7. Um, the only thing he has at stake here is getting hurt in this game. So I actually packed up my bags to leave. And as I was walking back out of the stadium, I saw him on the field for the third quarter. Now, they went on to lose the game, and they didn't have a comeback or anything like that. But that's just his mindset. Like, he had nothing to play for, but he wanted to play because he wanted to compete. So when you factor in all the talent and you factor in, you know, the love of the game and the compete and the way he was brought up in his pedigree, you know, your mind starts to get creative and you think, well, what if, what if you put him with Andy Reid? And what if you surrounded him with some talent? So that's kind of where it all started. But it, it was really a moment that people won't look at and say, you know, a blowout loss to Iowa State was when you had this epiphany. But really that's kind of when you start thinking about all the intangibles like you mentioned, that you know, you're not going to see on tape, but you'll see it in person if you're there. And um, a 42-7 loss to Iowa State is not going to tell you a lot if you just watch the tape. But if you're there and you see what he went through, um, it means a lot more. Last year, you know, one of the, the pluses I have in working uh, Penn State football games with my broadcast partner, Jack Ham is I get a great perspective on a lot of things. And the player that he locked in on and probably talked to me about more uh, last season than anybody else, he said, Steve, every time I watch this, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he said, that's a running back that can not only run, but man, he runs legitimate routes out of the backfield. So the linebacker comes out in there. You know, I mean, you're drafting last. He comes to your spot. What did you see that say, you know what, he can make an explosive offense even better? It's funny because, you know, when you look at the tag, uh, and I'm actually looking at my depth chart right now, and I had heard a lot about Clyde Edwards-Alaire and, you know, my staff um, loved the kid and raved about the kid. And I remember looking at the tag before I put the tape on, and I saw 5072, you know, 458. I'm thinking to myself, okay, 5072, you know, um, uh, four, uh, 458 or 456, I think he ran. Um, and I was like, man, this guy better be really good. I mean, you know, to play in this league at 5-7 and run, you know, 4-5-5, four, 4-5-8. Five, five, four, five, and you put the tape on, and the guy is just has unbelievable vision. Um, as you mentioned, Steve, a phenomenal route runner, a mismatch, um, such a low center of gravity. And, you know, pound for, you know, Coach Reed and I talk about it all the time. He's probably the toughest player on our team, pound for pound. And it's, you know, this is, uh, you know, as you, you see in high school and in college, but when you get to the NFL, I mean, um, the, the contact and, and some of the, um, uh, the violence of the hits are, are just amazing. And, and to see this kid, it takes two or three people to bring him down. Um, so for being such a small player, I mean, he, he's, he's the rare 5'7". He's an in-between type of runner, which, you know, to me, he reminded me a lot of Brian Westbrook because Brian was like that too where, you know, Brian was small, but he had just an innate ability um, to finish runs moving forward. And despite being small and, and not being six foot two twenty five. Um, always required the defense to have two or three arms around him or he was going to make plays. And he, he's done that all year. Got banged up a little in the New Orleans game, and, and you know, he missed some time. Um, but, you know, fortunately for us, he, he was able to come back last week. And, you know, I think with the extra week we've had before the Super Bowl, really looking forward to him um, being out there and being at full go for, for Sunday because we're going to need him. Last year, one of your starters in the offensive line at guard was Stefan Wisniewski from Penn State. And of course, he's a 10-year guy, so he, you know, eventually he moves on to the, the Steelers. But when you had a chance to get him back, you brought him back. 
Now, this is not a high-profile move. So in moves like that, Brett, what does trust mean for Brett Veach when he makes a move like that? What does trust mean for Andy Reid in bringing a player like that back? Well, I mean, it's a, he's a Penn State lineman, right? So he <laughs> just, he writes, he goes without saying. I mean, if you, you know, played on the old line at Penn State, he's going to come through for you. But no, listen, it means a lot. And, you know, we joked the other day, you know, death taxes and Stefan Wisniewski starting the Super Bowl. I mean, the guy just, you know, <laughs> has a way of, of um, you know, being there. He did it for Philadelphia. And, and then when he came here and, you know, he started for his last year in the Super Bowl. And, you know, I think when he went to Philly, he was a backup that earned his way onto the roster. And then he came to us midway through the season and, and you know, um, extremely smart, tough, competitive. I mean, when he plays, it's not always the prettiest, but he, he he finds a way to get things done, knows what he's doing, and loves to compete. And even when we signed him in the middle of the season, you know, from my standpoint, I mean, you always have to prepare for the, the what-ifs, and you, you never know. And I mean, look, we've lost like four or five linemen this year. Now, I wouldn't have expected that, but I approached it as if we need a veteran offensive lineman at some point, there's no one more than I trust in him um, because he's going to know how we do things. Um, he's going to know his assignments. He's going to prepare. He, he's, he's, you know, the book definition of the textbook definition of what it means to be a professional. He, he handles everything the right way, and he's always prepared. And when opportunities present themselves to him, um, he makes the most of them. And, and, you know, that's what we knew we were getting. And, and last year we signed him midway, and, and he helped us win a Super Bowl as a starter. And, and now he's in the same position this year, and hopefully we have the same outcome. One final question for you, Brett. We really appreciate your time very much. I've always felt that where you grow up sometimes can really set a foundation for who you are, what your interests are, and so forth. What did, what did and what does Mount Carmel continue to mean to you? Oh, I mean, listen, it's a special place. And, you know, I tell people all the time that, you know, I, you know, listen, first and foremost, I mean, I'm blessed with a great family. And, and um, you know, they taught me everything I know. But I think, you know, growing up in Mount Carmel and the passion they have for the sport of football, um, you know, this profession, you know, it's tough and, you know, there's a lot of sacrifices you have to, to make um, to move up and, and, and move on. And I think it's, you know, growing up in a town like Mount Carmel where football was so important to me at an early age, um, it really fueled that fire. And, you know, it was football wasn't important to me when I got a chance to work in the NFL. Football has always been important to me. It was always important to me because of the place I grew up in because it was important to Mount Carmel. And so I carry that with me uh, where I go. You know, if, if I grew up in some other town in some other state, you know, would I have had the ability to sacrifice so much to be in this position? Probably not. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, to me it's like um, Mount Carmel and being raised in that town is, is really the reason why I'm here. And, you know, the people um, that I grew up with and, you know, we all have that shame, same, um, shared that same love and, and passion uh, for the game and you know I've carried with, you know I've carried it with me forever and you know again I, I think if I'm, I grew up somewhere else I'm probably not here talking to you today. Brett congratulations on what you've accomplished so far and best of luck coming up uh, on uh, Sunday with Tampa Bay we appreciate the time you gave us very very much and appreciate you very much. Anytime uh, always always enjoy catching up and uh Look forward to seeing uh, Beaver Stadium pack next year, and, and you guys having fun, as you always do. Appreciate that very much, Brett. Thank you so much. Good luck Sunday. Thank you. Brett Feach, General Manager, Kansas City Chiefs, Mount Carmel High School. All right. Uh, the professor, John Clayton, final half hour. 
and uh, also letters from the suit in the after show. No? You're not big on that? Didn't get that memo. But the after show is the perfect time to do it. Probably, yeah. I mean, do you know how many people listen to the after show? Depends. Just take a guess. guess. Not many. How about zero? Back with more in a moment. (laughs) On News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Welcome. Great to have you with us on the show today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, the Professor John Clayton in the final half hour today's show. Holly Rowe is going to join us, by the way, on Friday. Uh, Holly Rowe is uh, just one of the great professionals out there. All the sideline work she does for ESPN. Uh, watches a lot of video all the time to prepare for assignments. Uh, is an integral part of every broadcast team she is on. She's also a cancer survivor. And the Lady Line basketball pink zone game is coming up a week from Saturday. It'll be Saturday, February 13th. And she's going to be part of an event next Wednesday, a virtual event, uh, to promote Penn State's pink zone. So we're going to talk to her about that, but also about her outstanding career and her work at ESPN. She will join us on Friday's show. Um, I get concerned. I mean, this, the suit sent me a text, like questions he would like to ask Holly Rowe. The first one was, who do you work for? I mean, I, I, I get concerned. Are you... Are you? Yeah, everyone thinking? should know that the answer uh, to that question. Uh, who do you work for? <laughs> okay. Second one was, what do you do? I mean, I, I, get, I get concerned. This is a great way to end Super Bowl week, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. No, we've, I think we've had uh, one knock-it-out-of-the-park guest after another. You know, seriously, I, I want to get very quickly about Brett Veach. Brett Veach is obviously the kind of general manager that works well with his head coach. He understands roster construction. He understands the importance of a core group and building around it. Uh it's interesting because in baseball, for example, there are some general managers in baseball that I feel make a mockery of the position because they'll, you know, they'll try and tell the manager what the what the lineup should be based on analytics. Like, no, you have to. The coach is there to coach. The manager is there to manage. So let them do their jobs. Turn them loose and let them do their jobs. Because that's what they were hired to do. Your job is to look at them and say, okay, what do we need? And then figure out if there is a way to do it. You may not be able to do it, but figure out if there is a way to do it. And in baseball, you're seeing not everybody. But, you know, for example, well, you know, the front office is involved in in tonight's lineup card. Like, what? It's not your job. Okay, that per you hired that person to manage. I mean, you think they're telling Joe Girardi what the lineup card should be? I mean, do you really? Uh, no. The NFL that doesn't happen, but see, a guy like Brett Feach understands that. He figured out 
what he believes, and justifiably what the core group should be, and he's tried to make it work. So he's got Patrick Mahomes, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, um, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, Tyreek Hill, already locked up for years with the idea, and Tyron Matthew, where he's now trying to build around those guys to make it happen. It's really a smart way to do it. Look, I, It doesn't always work. I mean, the Phillies did this a few years ago with Ryan Howard and Rollins and Utley and Roy Halladay and Lee and, and, and Cole Hamels, and a couple guys got hurt, and that's what hurt it. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Q is 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, great new inventory. Fabulous, wide array, uh, pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. Check it all out at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. I'm very pleased to be joined by one of the best, without question, John Clayton. John, welcome back. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Good to be with you. i got a dumb question. What part of central Pennsylvania are you based I am in State College, where Penn State is, which you know so well. Yes, I do. Uh, I haven't covered it, and uh, yeah, because I was I was wondering if it, uh, if it was in St. Mary's, because in St. Mary's, I that was my first uh, writing assignment when I was in high school, because I wrote for the uh, St. Mary's Daily Press and covered the Steelers. And this was in 1972, and as you know, as we've talked about, is that the, I covered Penn State for one year. Uh, right. Back in the late seventies, and it was one of the Joe Paterno's worst year because they went seven and five and got uh, you know they went to the Liberty Bowl and lost and had a lot of off season problems and Joe kicked me off the beat after one year. St. <laughs> Mary's, uh, my son Christopher married um, a young lady from St. Mary's, and the wedding was up there two years ago. So I literally was just up there two years ago for an extended period of time. So no, and I would hope that you did the right local thing and had Straub's beer. Oh well, of course we did. It's what it's what kept the the reception going. <laughs> <laughs> Only John and I could talk about this uh, because I was actually around in '79 when you were there too, too, John. So you, you uh, didn't make it to the uh, the Friday night uh, cocktail uh, happy hour that we always have. Did you? I did. I did. I did. In oh, you fact, were there? Was, okay. Yeah. I was on the road, and then if I recall back then, it would have been at the Nittany Line Inn at home. Does that sound right? That's correct, yeah. Yep. And, re- yep. and remember what uh, one of the things that somebody leaked, because you know, I'm, I'm really good at protecting sources, but uh, yeah. remember in, in those meetings, uh, I was I was the one to ask, because like, Joe was thinking about going into politics, Right. And I would ask him, say, are you really thinking about leaving football and going into politics? And he says, oh, I'm not going to give answer. up college football to the Barry Switzers and uh, Jackie Sherrills of the world. <laughs> and, of course, somebody took the word back uh, to him. It wasn't me. And uh, he blamed me. But it's like, and so at the Pitt-Penn State game, that if you remember, Pitt won in State College. Uh, Jerry, uh, Jackie walked up to him right before the game and goes, apologize if I'm taking away your football uh, chances or you're taking away your chance to get into politics. And Joe <laughs> just fumed. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I knew it wasn't you, by the way. So I've always yeah, known yeah. that. 
It's always been we, the rumor. we always had the uh, uh, Sever Toretti battles with. Uh, oh my goodness! Yes. I mean, Sever oh. Toretti was always in some kind of a battle with Colin from the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. <laughs> like it was. Yes. It was an eventful time. Oh, it, it was. It was very eventful. And uh, Sever Toretti, known as Tor. Um, yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. And Booker Moore had a, had a problem that year, and they went through three quarterbacks that year. That was a tough year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, I, and I still remember I was sitting there at the uh, at the Pittsburgh Press, and I get a call, and they say, "Hey, did you know that Giuseppe Harris just got uh, kicked off the team?" Oh, uh, yes. or, and it's like, uh, then I check it out and find it out, and then write it, and says, "Well, I'm, I'm just a." Uh, a lawyer here in State College, and it was, it was usually somebody from the building. I mean, from some, from, you know, on not right. the staff, but on the in in the office, uh, <laughs> would be calling me up and telling me all these different things that turn out to be true. I know, boy. I remember that year like it was, and they played Tulane in the Liberty Bowl. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. And then, okay. we, and then, of course, remember, did you have to go down like I did to the police station when the one person, uh, one, one of the players in the team, uh, ended up taking a rental car, going over to some person's house, breaking into the house, and oh. had a gun pointed at his head? Uh, I did not. I was not at the police station for that, but I remember the incident. Yep. All right. It was like, it was, I mean, that for, and this is after a 78 season where almost everything went perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, it really was. It was, and they had to kind of regain control, and did went ten and two the next year. So yeah, seven seven and five that year, as I remember. Yeah, yep, including the bowl game, S- including the bowl game. All right, so uh, your Washington Post column yesterday, where you talked about you know it's it's easy with with Brady and Mahomes to talk about, but you went into other areas. Seriously, I thought the first two items you put down, John, I think are related in a way. And one of them is, can the Bucks slow the Chiefs' track star speed, which the first time they didn't? And can the Chiefs overcome the loss of Eric Fisher at left tackle? To me, those two work hand-in-hand hand because that's the situation the Bucks had with a remade Green Bay offensive line in the NFC Championship game. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, because when you go back and you look at that, David Bakhtiari, the left tackle, probably I think he was considered to be the left, best left tackle not named Trent Williams in the league last year. He was out right. with a knee injury because he blew out his ACL. And so, uh, you know, they had to replace him. And uh, with, you know, Jason Pierre Paul and Shaq Barrett, they were able to get five sacks on Aaron Rodgers and eight hits on the quarterback. And now it's even worse if you're Kansas City because, you know, you lose your left tackle, Eric Fisher, who went to the Pro Bowl, was selected for the Pro Bowl. I mean, he blows out the Achilles. And so now Mike Remmers, who is filling in for. Uh, the injured uh, Michael uh, Mitchell Schwartz, who's the right tackle. You have Remmers moving to left tackle, a guard Andrew Wiley moving to uh, right tackle, Stefan Wisniewski, which of course is an interesting Penn State name. Stefan Wisniewski then goes yeah. to guard, and you know you look and you say that four of the five guys on the starting offensive line have uh, been cut at least one time, and so uh, you know, he's, Andy Reid's just really patching it together, but. Uh, you have Patrick Mahomes, who I think is going to get sacked four times in the game, but he's still so good that he can overcome that. Which then brings it to the next part. Brady early in the season, new offense, philosophy of Bruce Arians, the ability to throw deep. What have you seen from him in the latter part of the season as he is adjusted and Bruce has also adjusted to Brady? 
Yeah, I mean, and part of the problem was, I mean, Brady's throws were just off. I mean, there was one stretch where he went over 27 with three interceptions and no touchdown and no completions, uh, throwing the ball 21 air yards or more. But once they started getting past midseason, it kind of started after uh, the Kansas City game in Week 12 and after the uh, you know, earlier game against the New Orleans Saints that they lost 30 eight to three that he started connecting better and he's getting better and better each week and understand that the in this game you have two of the three quarterbacks who have led the league in air yards throw balls thrown downfield you know 21 yards plus or more and so uh, they they tested it deep and even in the game that brady struggled with in the loss to uh Kansas City in week 12 he did hit five passes that went 29 yards or more so he's getting better and better at it and of course I think you know he's adjusting to what Bruce Arians wants and uh, that's that's going to be it but still he has some bad quarters like he had the one three inter- three interceptions and three possessions that uh, obviously was not good but again I mean he's getting better and better in that offense. So, John, uh, I saw Ronald Jones against Penn State when I did the Rose Bowl a few years ago, so I have an indication what a young Ronald Jones looks like. We know what Leonard Fournette's been able to do. And my broadcast partner for Penn State, Jack Ham, last year when he was at LSU, he talked about Clyde Edwards-Alaire as a tough guy to cover in the pass game. So what can running backs mean in this game? Because running backs aren't often talked about in the NFL much anymore. Yeah, unfortunately, not as much as it should, uh, because I mean there is a continued trend right now that uh, you know, uh, particularly with the Kyle Shanahan, uh, Sean McVay running schemes, uh, they're so far advanced and have been advanced for so many years that there is more running elements. I mean, you go into the playoffs. Uh, what the seven of the ten top teams that made the playoffs all had good running games numbers and even Green Bay a team that was always a West Coast offense that would pass the ball 60% was seventh most as far as the percentage of run plays but the ironic part is these two teams Tampa Bay and uh, Kansas City have become more passing teams they're both 60-40 pass to run but uh, you know, it's interesting on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because obviously he hasn't been the same since coming back from his injury. Now today right. he was completely healthy, full practice, was able to do all the things he could normally do. But once they drafted him, uh, the scouts around the league basically said this is the best back that uh, Andy Reid's ever had for the offense that he runs. And, of course, I mean, you know with LaShawn McCoy, how good he was. You know with right. Deuce Staley and all those different guys that have been through there that, uh, you know, here here's the guy that he considered the best because, as uh, Jack mentions, that uh, he catches the ball well, he runs the ball well. He was really having a great rookie season until the injury. So, But what I'm looking at is that uh, you go back in the first game in Week 12, I mean, what, uh, because they trailed 17 nothing in the first quarter, you know, they had to throw away the running game for Tampa Bay, so they only had 12 carries for running backs, and uh, it was maybe 16 or 17 for Kansas City. So I anticipate it's probably going to be the same thing. So one back or two backs may get 50 yards, but I don't anticipate a 100-yard back in, the season, in this game because I don't think any one back is going to get more than 16 carries. Right. Now, you could see a combined 100 if you had in pass yards. Yeah. So that's, and that's what you're talking about. You're in an incredible uh, football market. Seattle's one of the best in the, in the country. Los Angeles is not a great football market. They just made the trade Goff to Detroit for Matthew Stafford. But they've also made other deals, including the Ramsey deal and so forth, where they have traded a lot of draft capital to make this happen. 
How have you? How are you viewing what the Rams are doing with draft capital versus players acquired? Well, one thing, I mean, you almost need to do this in this division because it's so competitive. I mean, competitive to a point where, I mean, San Francisco traded for Trent Williams, traded for right. Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, the Rams, Jalen Ramsey, you know, they, uh, it, it, they've made a whole bunch of trades, and certainly the Matthew Stafford one is going to make them better on offense. But at some point it catches up to you because now with Jared Goff off the roster, they will not have a first-round pick for eight consecutive years because they traded, obviously, 2022-2023, and Goff was 2016. So no first-round picks. And at some point, I mean, unless you're just lucky in making your draft selections, and it's not like they've been loaded with draft choices, uh, it's going to catch up to them. And then the other problem with the Stafford thing, as good as it's going to be because their offense is going to be better, you know, they now have $42.2 million in both dead cap money for Goff, $20 million included for the Stafford deal as far as his base save. That's 23.3% uh, of a cap that might be $180 million. And so they're not going to be able to re-sign Leonard Floyd, uh, the good safety John Johnson. Uh, they're going to you know, have to cut probably one or two guys on the offensive line. So uh, there's a good and bad to this trade, good from the quarterback standpoint, but bad from the cap standpoint. Now there's this interesting part. We know that the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni to be the head coach. In reality, the play caller in Indianapolis was Frank Reich. Sirianni wants to call plays in Philadelphia. Shane Waldron is the choice to be the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. But again, he hasn't been a play caller. Yet you've done a lot of research on this, and people should not be alarmed at what they what they hear when they hear that because it's actually a better track record than people realize. Yeah, because I understand it. And again, everybody is copying the Shanahan, uh, including uh, Sean McVay, who learned it when he was in uh, Washington and eventually became the play caller for the for the Redskins, is that uh, what you see is that that running offense is so advanced and has been for really three decades because Mike Shanahan ran that he just didn't have the motion that they run and everything else. And so the interesting part, and even Doug Peterson, who uh, you know lost his job, you know, incorporated more of the Shanahan running offense when he was in Philadelphia his past year. But that's the trend, and so you can see the track record of what happens. I mean, you know, Sean McVay called all the plays and still has. Yet, Zach Taylor gets a head coaching job, and until he got hurt, was working well with Joe Burrow at quarterback, throwing 40 passes a game. Then you saw that uh, you know Matt LaFleur left uh, the Rams and went to Tennessee and then propped up the career of Ryan Tannehill and propped up the career of Derrick Henry and then got the Green Bay job, and then he incorporated more running plays there. And then, of course, uh, you have Arthur Smith, uh, who worked – several years with uh, Shanahan in Washington, you know, working and learning from uh, Matt LaFleur. He has a great year this year at Tennessee, and now he's the head coach of Atlanta. So, And these guys didn't call plays. And so now what do you see in Shane, he comes to Seattle with the same possibilities because now what he can do is go in there, take that running offense, which is very advanced, because you, you can have motion, you can have RPOs, you can have quicker tempo, all these different things to upgrade the Seahawks offense. Finally, any quick thoughts on the, on the five selections for the Hall of Fame? 
Uh, I mean, I was in, we had the meeting two weeks ago. In fact, it was on a Wednesday. And, uh, you know, we have no idea. I think, uh, well, we have some idea because we know that Peyton Manning and Charles right. Woodson should be able to make it as first ballot. You know, I still see if Calvin Johnson uh, slides in there as a first ballot. I'm hoping that uh, one of the offensive linemen, Alan Fanica or Tony Baselli, make it in because we need to continue to get the offensive linemen in. And then we'll see if it's going to be good for John Lynch. But uh, what we did is that we take, took it down to 10, then we voted it down to 5, but they wouldn't tell us what the 5 is. Right. So like uh, you, me, and everybody else, we have to wait till Saturday night to find out the results. Hey, I do have to ask you, outside of that, uh, Bill Nunn is being considered. And, of course, with your Pittsburgh roots and what he meant to the Steeler organization, what did you think about uh, seeing his name on there as a contributor? I'm so proud because you know I'm on the contributor committee and I pushed the idea of having Bill Nunn go in and you know I, I said a lot of a lot of things because in 1972 when I was uh, you know writing for the St. Mary's Daily Press uh, he was the one who took in me as far as I mean I, the, the team approved me for training camp but he was the one who was running training camp and so I had to you know go in and get credentialed by him and of course uh, you know he was at the the, the Courier. Uh, the Pittsburgh Courier, and uh, as a writer, and of course he was so far advanced because you know he was a great writer, but also he was the first person, and he would do it for the paper that would go ahead and look at the uh, you know the black colleges and, uh, and and be able to go ahead and uh, create an all-star team. And he was so good in talking to the coaches, he developed so much interest in the league. That's why he got the coaching job. And then the other part is his father, who owned the paper, and him, particularly back in 72 and the early 70s, you know, there was you know a lot of racism back then. And so sometimes yeah. even the top athletes coming into Pittsburgh, you know, couldn't get into hotels because they weren't allowed. So he would, they would bring uh, him, the, the players and the people into their homes to be able to take care of uh, you know them when they were in town. I mean, great person, great scout. I mean, certainly he had such a big impact in that 1974 draft you know because mm-hmm. you know he went and saw John Stallworth and John had a bad time and so he was one of the few scouts that stayed an extra day because he know how he knew how bad the field was and so then Stallworth got a uh, faster run and uh, he ends up getting drafted and becoming a Hall of Famer and then of course Donnie Shell he found I mean Elsie Greenwood he found I mean he was just phenomenal and Mel Blunt oh and Mel by Blunt. the way he also said, hey, maybe in the second round you ought to take this guy from Kent State, Jack Lambert. Mm-hmm, yeah. He was fantastic, and uh, his impact on that uh, great Super Bowl run of four and six years is all there because what would now have, there's ten in the Hall of Fame, and he was responsible for more than half. I always have a great time talking to you. I really appreciate the time that you give us uh, very, very much, John. Thank you. Okay, thank you. John Clayton, uh, the professor. Yes, indeed. All right. We'll wrap it up in a moment. Um, We'll get Matt's reaction to Nick Sirianni calling plays. Maybe that'll be better in the after show. Here on uh, News Radio 1070 WKOK.
When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. We were just talking in the break about the Chief. Uh, one of the truly awesome guys out there. Back doing games. Great to have him back on. Think the world of him. And really one of the great survivors. And let's be honest about it. I mean, is there a better listener than the Chief? No. He's got to sit there every Friday night and then several times during the course of the winter, and he does a lot of listening. Yes. <laughs> I can't stand this guy. <laughs> uh, he, the chief is an awesome, awesome guy. So we were just talking. We were just talking about him in the break. Matter of fact, when's the next uh, basketball game for? Uh, uh tomorrow night, I believe. Tomorrow night. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, against Lewisburg. It was rescheduled from Monday because of the weather. Oh, yeah. Boy. Can you believe how long that storm lasted? My goodness. And maybe Wait, more he, on the he, way next week. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I know. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because John was talking about St. Mary's. And so we had to go up there, obviously, a lot. You know, you know weather, things like, you know, you know, with the wedding and things like that. So I kept making trips back and forth to go up there to make arrangements, to meet her family, things like that. Beautiful family, by the way. Great people. And I've said it, and not one time do I see an elk. Zero. So the day of the wedding, the McGraths go up there, the Goloszewskis go up there. They all go up together, Okay. Oh, you should have seen a whole pasture with elk. And I'm like, I've gone up back and forth, back and forth. All of course. I see no elk. They make one trip. They're coming up to the car. <laughs> what the heck? 